Well, hey, good morning, Crossroads family. How you doing? All right, awesome. Well, hey, my name is Ross. I'm very excited to be with you this morning sharing today. And I want to tell you about uh, just two days ago, Friday, I was with 30 different church leaders from around the Evansville region, uh, just on a day together, a retreat uh, for Evansville. We got the chance to host these church leaders, and it is really a special moment and privilege to be able to see church leaders in our community sharing together, eating together, challenging one another, encouraging one another as an expression of unity in our city that you guys don't get to see unless I tell you about it. So it was a really exciting time. And during that retreat, uh, Reverend Adrian Brooks, who's the pastor at Memorial Baptist, uh, came and spoke to us for just a little bit, and he shared something I wanted to share with you today. He said, when everything is shifting and more confusing, we stay grounded by digging into Scripture every day. And he went on to say that he also reads every day the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, and the Washington Post, and many other outlets to understand not just what God's Word says, but also the times that we are in. And for the past several decades, uh, Memorial Baptist has been one of the most influential church families in our whole region. So during this disruptive period, Reverend Brooks was able to adapt because he stayed grounded in God's Word and he understood the times. Much like I've seen our church leaders do right here at Crossroads as well. But we need to be people who understand the times that we are living in. And I wonder if you know that we're actually living in a historically unprecedented moment, and not just because of all of the things people have been saying because of the pandemic and the disruption we've experienced, but because every 500 years, there seems to be a massive shift. And we could go back to 2000 BC when God called Abraham and jump forward every 500 years, but I'm gonna start us off just in year zero. When Jesus came, put on flesh, and dwelt among us, right? We actually order our calendars globally by that reality. And so Jesus came, and if we fast forward 500 years, we have the close of all the church councils, when, when the church at the time was really unified and they were working out, what do we think about the incarnation and the resurrection and, and what is right doctrine and working out all the things that Christians today all over the world confess, this is what we believe. And if you fast forward another 500 years to 1000 AD or so, you have the Great Schism. The Great Schism is when, in the Dark Ages, the Roman Catholic Church split off from the Orthodox Church. And it was the first major global church split. Fast forward another 500 years, and we're with Martin Luther and John Calvin and the Great Reformation. In that moment, when they stood up and said, we know that we are saved by grace through faith alone. And, and at the same time, there was the Renaissance happening in society and the invention of the printing press. And you guys remember the first book printed on the printing press was the Bible. And in that time, it was, it was God was giving his word to his people. And he was doing a new thing. And now we fast forward to 2000. And just think what's happened in the last few decades. We've sent a man to the moon, and now we go to space for fun. We've, we've seen the invention of the computer, smartphone, we have the internet, social media, we've seen medical breakthroughs, and since 2007, more people live in cities than not in cities. And it's, it's actually the largest migration in human history, and it can't reverse. It cannot go back. Actually, by 2050, 70% of the world's population will live in cities. So I'm convinced 
At this moment in time, we live in a privileged opportunity. And I think God is doing something reformative again in his church and in his world. In cities across the world, churches are coming together to see their cities transform. I was uh, last month out in Colorado with some other leaders from all over the country, leaders from Seattle, Denver, Charlotte, Richmond, Columbus, Ohio, Dallas, all saying, hey, here's what we see happening in our city. Churches are working together to solve this thing. And here they're coming together and doing this thing. And there's real visible expressions of a united church seeing their city transformed. This is happening across the globe. I'm also convinced now more than ever that God is bringing greater clarity to how each person who follows him, who's in Christ, is on mission with him in their everyday activities where they live, work, and play. So this 500-year shift is worth your reflection. So I wanted to start this four-week series on mission by helping us understand the times that we're living in, but also because the stakes are high. I don't have to tell you all the reasons, but there's, there's great fear in our world today. There's polarization, isolation, there's division, there's disregard for human life, and some of these things are present in the church as well. So we, as people who are in Christ, who are trying to live and love like Jesus, we need to rise up to show the world what it means to live in the kingdom of God, what it is meant to be, and why living in Christ changes everything. And we're not going to do it divided. We can't do it by participating in his mission partially or just very part-time. And we can't do it by limiting all of our spiritual energy to the Sunday gathering. It's about blooming, enabling flourishing, living with faithful presence right where God has already planted you. It's being on mission in our whole lives because being on mission in just a little part of our life is not gonna cut it in this historically unprecedented time, in this 500-year shift. God can and wants to, to use our whole lives for his purpose. And I wanna encourage you today that many of you are already doing it and maybe just didn't think of it that way. And all of us have many more opportunities than we probably realize. And so what you're gonna hear this morning and over the next four weeks, I hope is a message of hope, a message of freedom, of saying, I didn't think I could use more of my time for God's mission, but in reality, you can. And he actually invites you to something maybe way bigger than we had thought before. So this morning, I wanna introduce you to a, a tool that we're gonna use on this journey. And if you're on the ends of the pews, I'd like you to pass that tool out. It has the cover on it for On Mission. So if you could grab that and pass those down, I wanna introduce you to a tool that we're calling the Pie and the Pathway. I wanna encourage you also to take notes on it. Grab a pen in front of you from the pew back and you can write down the key scriptures that we're gonna to reference today. They may come at you fast. So write them down as anchor points in the story and you'll be able to actually draw on those charts as well and follow along. So I think we're gonna see this as a very helpful tool and we're definitely gonna come back and leverage it in the next four weeks. I also think it's mixed up in what the future of the church looks like and the flourishing of our Evansville region. All right, so I wanna begin by drawing your whole life. This is your whole life. 
And I don't want to break down your life. And it may not be the exact breakdown of your life. And you've got an opportunity in your booklet to draw yours and what you think it might look like. But this is your waking hours. And so you have your work up here. This could be paid work or unpaid work. Maybe you're retired. Maybe you're a stay-at-home parent. Maybe you're part-time. This is your paid and your unpaid work. It's your family, social time, or like time in your neighborhood, and your extra time. So I'll ask you a question. Where are you on mission with Jesus? Where are you currently working toward Jesus' mission with him? I want to suggest, first of all, you already know the answer because we're talking about being on mission with Jesus in our whole life, and that's great. But I think a lot of times what happens is we really think about ways we can be on mission with Jesus in our extra time. And so we have churches and nonprofits who are doing great work, and they say, hey, will you come and help us in the nursery? We need help with the youth ministry or you know, would you lead a Bible study or a small group on Tuesday night? And a nonprofit might say, hey, we are really passionate about housing. We're really passionate about the homeless in our community. And we want you to come and this weekend help us with the project. Or if you could help show up and you know, just, just help us do what we're doing. They're asking for this extra time, right? They're asking for that. And what happens is I think implicitly and sort of subconsciously, we start to say, I'm on mission with Jesus in my extra time. And some of us might feel like, I want to be on mission with Jesus more. So how can I go work for a church? How can I go work for a nonprofit organization so I can leverage more of my time for what Jesus is doing in the world? And that's great. And some of us are called to that. And that's wonderful. But what about the rest of our life? Family, social, work. Can this be used for Jesus's mission? Or is all that just meant to support the mission? So we start by asking a new question. We have to say, what is work? What is work? Because it takes work at work, we know that. But there's work in your family life. It takes work to be a good parent, to be a good son or daughter, to be a brother or sister. It takes work to be a good neighbor and a good friend. And it takes work, certainly in your extra time where you're volunteering your time. First thing I want us to ask is, what does God think about work? And we have to start in the very beginning. So I'm going to say the first three words of the Bible. You say the next two. Okay? Ready? In the beginning, God created. Right. Very good. So what's the first thing we learn about God? We learn that he's a worker. And why is this significant? Because at the time, all the gods written about in the ancient Near East, they didn't work. They had humanity do their work. That made them God. The very first thing that God tells us in his, human, his self-disclosure, this is who I am, this is what I want the world to know about me. The very first thing he says is, I am a worker. That's significant. We need to think about that. If we fast forward to verses 26 and 27, it says that he made male and female in his image. He made male and female in his own image. And often you've probably heard it said that since we're made in God's image and he is a trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, and, and they perfectly love one another, give and receive love. They're a perfect community. And so we're meant for community because we're made in his image. 
We're supposed to belong. We're supposed to be in relationship. And I would just ask for us to take the same logic and same reality and apply it to work. So if God is a worker and we're made in his image, what does that make us? Workers. And how do we know that that is true? Well, the very first words that God says to humanity are right after this. And he, said, he blesses them and he says to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it and rule over. It's a job description. He's saying, I've, I've taken and I've made the garden and I've created just like this and I want you now to go and increase it. Be fruitful. Be productive. Take it and make something more out of it. And we actually see this in human history, right? We take what God's made and we do something with it. That's how we're sitting on pews, in fact. But thankfully, that work has an outcome. How many of you know a job description without an outcome that's supposed to lead somewhere is very confusing, right? Well, God doesn't leave us in that situation because at the end of the story, in Revelation 21, he says, this is where all of that work is supposed to go. It's going to lead to the holy city, the new Jerusalem that's coming down out of heaven from God. And so in the very beginning, we started in a garden and we went to a city. God says, this is, this is what I'm doing. The trajectory of everything that God's doing finds fullest expression in a city. And it's called the New Jerusalem. And why is that important? Because in Hebrew, Jerusalem means city of shalom. And shalom is the way God intended things to be. There was perfect shalom in the garden before Adam and Eve rebelled. That's the way he wanted it to be. But he said the fullest expression of that is actually in this New Jerusalem, the new city of shalom, the way things are supposed to be, wholeness, peace, delight. What's that city look like? We need to know if we're going to be involved in building it, right? Or the, how our work is supposed to be pointing to it. We need to go to Isaiah 65, the last few verses of that chapter, 17 through 25. So Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. I won't read the whole passage to you. It's poetic, and it describes this new Jerusalem. Some would say this is what it would look like for God to build a city from scratch. He's saying this is the new Jerusalem. This is what it looks like. And here's the description. It says, the city is a delight and its people are a joy. God delights in the city and her people. Children are valued, protected, and nurtured. Verse 20 says that they'll live long and full lives. The elderly are living long and full lives. Stable housing and access to quality food is present. There's economic justice. People have meaningful work that's enjoyed. That sounds good, right? And it bears great fruit. There's intergenerational family support and healthy family structures. The city has hope. It's a certainty that future shalom is secure. And the city is fully reconciled to God. Verse 24 says, before they call, I will answer. He knows them and they know him. There isn't violence and there's reconciliation among humanity and between humanity and creation. Now, just by a show of hands, how many of you would like living in this city? It's in our hearts that we long for that kind of city. And so all of our life, all of our whole life should be able to point in some way, how can we help people experience and see the kind of city that God wants them to see? Now, we have to find our place in the story. 
So this is great, but what, is this, what does this mean? How do we find our place in the story? Well, I want us to go to Ephesians, and we're going to go backwards through a few verses. So Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, it says that he, being Jesus, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers. These are church leaders. They're people. They're gifts that Jesus gave to the church. And he says that they are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So their job is to equip the saints. Now, who are the saints? The saints are all those who are in Christ. That's you and me. Church leaders' job is to equip us for the work of ministry. Now, I'll have to ask what the work of ministry is, but it reminds me of the time when I was in seminary and people would find out and they would say, okay, so you're going to go into the ministry. And I would respond, well, yes, I'm going, I'm going to go work for a church. And the reality of what is said in Ephesians 4 is actually that church leaders have left the ministry. Their ministry is to equip us for the work of ministry. And so they aren't doing the ministry as we are doing the ministry, actually. So church leaders have left the ministry, and their job is to equip us for this work. And what does that work look like? What are we talking about? I think we go to Ephesians 2.10. It says that right after one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture, that we are saved by grace through faith, it continues on and it says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That means God knows the work that you're to be doing right now. He laid it out for you to do in advance. He has specific work and he wants you to do it well and to your fullest. So this work has to go somewhere. And we close with Ephesians 1.10 and our backward journey through Ephesians. And we're, this is the passage that Chris read before we sang one of the songs. It says, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, that's Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. So the fullness of time, that's saying, this is what God's up to in all that he's doing. This is where it's leading. This is his whole goal. And that mystery has been revealed to us. And it's the bringing together of all things in heaven and all things on earth smashing them together, colliding them in Christ. So all those who are in Christ have a really important role to play, right? Because we get to bring foretastes or experiences or little opportunities for seeing what heaven, this new Jerusalem looks like in our current time and space. And what would that look like if we did that? Well, we take this up here and we say, we know If God was going to unite all things in heaven and all things on earth, that's the city of heaven coming down to earth at the end of the story. And so this is how I want us to think about work and how we can point all of our lives, not just part of our lives, towards God's mission. Okay, so we have a second diagram. And the question that we probably have right now is, okay, maybe that makes sense. But how does that apply to my life? How am I supposed to know what God wants me to do and how I can direct all that work in my whole life towards his mission? Excuse me while I get my work out here. Okay, so everyone is focused on God's mission. So we can put that right in the center. Okay, God's mission, or we might say... Shalom City, 
right? It's the new city of Shalom that we're all pointing to. Okay, well, the first circle outside of that, and this is about your passions. I want to ask you, what are your passions? What are the things that you really enjoy? One thing that I really enjoy is basketball. I love to play basketball. That's one of my passions. Uh, It might be something like a hobby. It could be an activity. It could be just something that you really just love spending your time doing. Another way to ask a question about your passions is to say, what are your holy discontents? What are the things that keep you up at night, the darkness or the brokenness in the world that you can't stand, that you don't want to be here, right? I want to pause here and help us think about our passions a little bit more. I'm going to go to Nehemiah. And if you remember Nehemiah, Nehemiah is telling the story of the rebuilding of the wall. And if you recall, Israel has been exiled to Babylon. And Nehemiah had a pretty strategic role. He was, he was working alongside the king, and he asked for a report about the city. Let's see what it says. It says, I questioned them about the Jewish remnant, that's the people, that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. That's the city. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And I want to ask us, have we asked for the report on our community? Do we know the unshalom places of our community? And then I want to challenge us with Nehemiah's response. The very next verse, verse four says, when I heard these things, I sat down, I paused, and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Do we grieve the unshalom places of our community? If we can envision how God looks down on the Evansville region and he sees the unshalom places Can we, like Nehemiah, weep over our city's brokenness? And just think about Jerusalem. Jerusalem was supposed to be the city of Shalom, and it wasn't. It was in ruins, and the people were in trouble and in great distress. And if you remember Jesus, there's two times that he wept in his life that we know about. One of us, when Lazarus died, and he raised Lazarus back to life. And the other one is when he wept over the city of Jerusalem. And he looked out and he knew this city is not everything that I intended it to be. And in that moment, I know for sure that he knew the new Jerusalem was coming one day. And that was the very thing he was there to do. I think this must be our motivation. If we're going to be talking about being on mission in our whole lives, we have to let the brokenness and the darkness and the unshalom that grieves God's heart grieve ours as well. And so I want us to to think deeply about our holy discontents. Let me just give you some ideas. Maybe it's kids who are experiencing foster care. The last I heard, there are more kids experiencing foster care in Vandenberg County than the state of Virginia. We need foster families. Maybe it's insecure housing. Somewhere between 1,500 and 3,000 affordable housing units are still needed in our community. Maybe it's people just not knowing who God is and his love for them. That's a holy discontent for you. Maybe it's economic injustices and the realities we face in our world today. It's, you know, there's a median income for a black household in Vandenberg County is just a little over half that what it is for a white 
household. What's going on there? Does it grieve us? 27% of those in Warwick County are living below basically the idea that if something horrible happens in my life, like a flat tire, I'm not going to be able to survive. I'm going to be in a crisis situation. The number is 41% for Vandenberg County. We know there's racial division. There's disregard and dismissal of life at conception and early childhood, late adulthood. There's the breakdown of family and family structures and marriage. There's confusion about sexuality and gender. There's too many kids in our community who can't read at their third grade level, which is a key indicator for high school graduation. There's a lack of care for veterans who've sacrificed their lives for our own benefit. These are just a few examples. The church needs to step up. We're the people who are in Christ who can bring heaven to earth to these realities. We can't tackle these issues if we limit all of our effort to our extra time. It's not going to happen. So I ask you, what are your passions? What are your holy discontents? Okay, the next circle is your experiences. These are the things that have shaped you, made you who you are, how you think of your identity and your purpose. They could be really positive experiences. They could be negative experiences. I got a neutral experience to share with you, which is that I had uh, nine different internships uh, from college and seminary at different churches. And I thought for sure by the eighth or ninth one that God was never going to let me work in a church. And he never did because I never went to work in a church. But that was a significant experience that has shaped who I am and how God uses me. The next circle is your gifts, your talents, and your skills. These are the things that you're really good at. You've always been good at them. Maybe it's a talent. Maybe you're just great at connecting with people. Maybe you're one of those people who's just amazing at sales. Maybe your, your skill is that you've just become really great at Excel spreadsheets. Shout out to my wife, Candace. Maybe it's just something that you left on the shelf because you used to do it a lot and you didn't really like it, but maybe, maybe it could be used again. Maybe it's a skill you really didn't ever want to have, but because of the work you did or the experiences you had, you learned a new skill. What are those things that God's given you? And so how do we use all these things to start directing towards God's mission? And so the last circle is your placement. A couple weeks ago, Phil was preaching um, Acts, and we actually spent a whole five weeks studying how the Holy Spirit moved through the early church and enabled people to go out and be on mission in their whole lives. Now we're spending the next four weeks talking about how do we do that? What does that mean? But he was preaching on Acts 17, and I want to call your attention to verse 26, where it says, from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out. Their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Translation, God put you in the Evansville region in 2021 on purpose. He marked out the appointed time for you to live. Right now, at this moment, in this 500-year shift reality, he has placed you where you are. He did it with great purpose. He put you around others in those similar places. In the next couple weeks, you're gonna be hearing about vocational groups and neighborhood groups. And that's basically saying, I wanna find the people who are 
with me on this journey of placement. Like God's put me in this neighborhood and he's put me in this kind of work. And I wanna be with people who are doing that in those spaces to figure out what it means to be on mission in my whole life. So let's think about some of our placements. We have the year and the time that we live in. We live in the United States of America. We live in Indiana. We live in the Evansville region. What are some other ways that we're placed? Well, how about your family? You've been born into a certain group of people who God's asked you to love and care for and participate with. You also have a certain workplace in a certain industry. You also live in a certain neighborhood and you live on a particular street next to particular neighbors. None of that is on accident. God has put you right where you are on purpose. And so what we wanna do now with our final minutes is we wanna draw that pie right over the pathway. And we wanna start to ask, how do my placement, my gifts, my experiences, my passions in my work point towards God's mission and in our family, social, and our extra time? What we're gonna do is point this way towards God's mission in all the areas of our life. And so some of you might be thinking, okay, but that didn't answer my questions about how I can be on mission in my whole life. And that's because I can't give you the answers because you're uniquely made and uniquely placed. But I can, you can leverage this tool. You can use this as an opportunity to sit down with some people who know you and trust you, you trust, and say, hey, I'm working through this. I wanna help, I wanna just experience what it means to be on mission in my whole life. So I can't give you all the answers for what that looks like. I can recap a couple key things I think are important to take away. The first is that the good news is bigger and better than we typically think. Jesus is not only interested in saving individuals from eternal death so that they can have eternal life, but actually his mission is the reconciliation of all things in Christ. So circle Ephesians 1.10, that's what he's doing. And you can also look at Colossians 1.19 and 20. It says the same thing. He's reconciling all things in Christ. The second, when you accepted Jesus as Lord over your whole life, you accepted his mission in your whole life. And what I want to tell you today is that you, if you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, are already in full-time ministry. And we need to stop thinking that only our church leaders are doing full-time ministry. And lastly, each of us is strategically placed to bring heaven to earth where we are. Several months ago when we were getting ready for this series, we thought we were going to call it Get in the Game. I think a better title for that one would have been You're in the Game. And that's the reality. You're already in the game. Christ saved you and saves everyone for this purpose, for his mission to reconcile all things to himself. And so what I hope that you will leave with today is that when you learn to direct every area of your life towards God's mission, towards the city of Shalom, that new Jerusalem, that Isaiah 65 vision of what he's doing in the world, you'll begin to experience life to the full and so will those around you. Some city thinkers have realized that it only takes 1% of a city's population 
to transform and change that city. Only 1%. So if you take the Evansville, Indiana region, which is about 325,000 people, that means 3,250 people. That's all it takes to really change and transform that culture. So what if we had 3,250 people who were actively trying to live out their everyday activities as being a part of what God is doing to reconcile all things, all things to himself? See, we have more opportunities than we realize. We're all in this mission because Jesus has invited us into it. They'd start to see the kingdom of God more clearly. They'd start to see those realities of the city that he's going to be doing at the end of time come into the time and place right now. And that's the mission that God has put us on. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good to us. And I'm just so excited for my friends and for me even to think through, are there more ways that I could be on mission and maybe am on mission and just hadn't thought of it that way? Lord, for all the people who I've heard from who've said, you know, I just thought if I was going to be on mission with Jesus, I had to go work for a nonprofit or a church. For them to hear this and say, no, God's put you right where you are. It may not be where you are forever, but it's right where you've placed them for this moment, for them to bring heaven just a little closer for those around them, for the unshalom places they see in their workplace, their neighborhood, their family, and even in their extra time. So Lord, thank you that you are God who's over all of it. You are the king that demands our allegiance and you are going to do this and you have invited us into that journey. So Lord, thank you for all this and we pray in your name, amen.